The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So, I'm always a little curious as to who's in the room. Um, please raise your hand if this is the first time you've been here, Common Ground. One, two. You've come on the sex talk. I see you. I see how it is. <laughs> Welcome. Um, this is a place that. Um, even though I'm far away, it, it, it always gives me joy that it exists. It's, uh, I, I find it a, an exemplary place and a, and a beautiful place. So um, if I don't make a mess of it, I hope you come back. And if I do mess of it, come back anyway. It's, it's okay. Um, who's been coming here for about a year or less? Okay. Who's been kind of newish? About over a year to five years? Five to ten? Over ten? Okay, it's a big range. And uh, if you would like to share either what you heard or why you're here, it's just nice to know who's in the room when I ask this side, this side, and this side three times. From this side of the room, why, why is the person that you talk to here or why are you here? Why are you here tonight specifically? Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. Okay. So Santi was here, talked about the third precept. Um, she and I were senior monastics in England, and so um, we used to have some very interesting conversations. Um, I always saw myself as an advocate for the nuns, and. Um, some issues with gender uh, in the Theravada tradition. So when Common Ground, uh, I don't know why they keep inviting me, but I'm like, okay. And, uh, and uh, they, they said, what do you want to talk about? I'm like, I want to talk about sex and money. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and uh, when I was 24, I entered the monastic thing, and, and I couldn't touch money, and I couldn't have sex. And uh, a 24-year-old male body is not designed not to have sex. Right, I mean, those are the cute, handsome years for most people's like <laughs> ideas, right? You know, like being in your early twenties is is what the ideal in society is many times. It's being attractive. That your currency tends to be higher in an ageist society. So I spent that uh, up until you know when I left, uh, beginning of my thirties, and so when I had been a child, I was interested in monasticism. And then I studied um, at university the religions of India, and I would talk to a lot of people. And so the reason why I wanted to talk about sex is, one, um, if you look at Dharma talks, the number of Dharma talks on sex, it's not that much. Look for seven factors of enlightenment, and oh my goodness, <laughs> right? Four, four foundations of mindfulness, a lot. But let's just talk about sex, not that much. Um, so there is, there is, I think, um, and I know the reason I think monks and nuns, uh, many times feel uncomfortable talking to lay people about that. Um, and then lay people sometimes read these scriptures that don't make any sense to a daily life and, and a daily sexuality. And because I'm a lay person and I'm a sex, uh, because I'm, uh, I have been a Buddhist monk without, um, Engaging in sexual behavior, I thought, you know, I have some reflections. 
And so what I was thinking on the plane coming over here, I thought these are the things that I'm interested in talking about. One is virginity and chastity and what that had, that has done in a, in a spiritual conversation throughout the centuries. And then uh, Indriya Samwara, which is this concept of guarding the senses. And, and then just kind of like, you know, sec- sexuality and the second noble truth, which is about the cause of suffering. And so I looked at those and I'm like, ooh, that's a five-week seminar. <laughs> uh, so scratching the surface of the surface, I think it's okay. Because it might spark something and, you know, maybe some of you want to start a group and be like, hey, let's talk about you know, sexuality and spirituality, friend or foe. The, um, you know, my experience growing up in El Salvador was that the Virgin Mary was very powerful. Catholic country, but liberation theology. So I didn't grow up with mean nuns. I grew up with these amazing Jesuit brothers who were in the middle of a civil war who wanted to be there. And they would talk to me in a way that was not condescending, even in second grade. You know, and it, they would talk about it. And so, you know, I was like, virgin, what, you know, like, I was curious, what is that? And I'd like, oh, how do you explain it to a second grader? Recently, I went to the Museum of Asian Arts in San Francisco, and they had a statue of Isis. And Isis was holding the baby, right? Because Isis is the virgin mother. Um, it's like, why are these Egyptians interested in this 5,000 years ago? And I really wanted to take a picture of it because visually it looks exactly like the Madonna. Right? And then you go to China and then Kuan Yin holds the child and it was the Jesuits in Japan who then gave that motif. And so this thing of women aspiring to be pure and virginity being an ideal, I was like, what is that about? And then we have, like, in, in Christianity, we have Jesus, who all of a sudden holds celibacy and the Buddha, and so you have chastity. The difference between chastity and celibacy is that sometimes celibacy means you're not getting married or living in a community. In Buddhist uh, monasticism, there is no masturbation. There is no flirting. Obviously, there's no marriage. There's no kissing. There's no, you know, contact of any kind that is sexual. Out of the four rules in monasticism that will kick you out for life. One of them is sexual intercourse. The other ones being murder, stealing, and pretending to have spiritual powers that you don't have. And they're called the four parajikas. And then out of that, there's 227 rules and then thousands of rules around it. So again, the question was, okay, the Buddha gets enlightened. The story is that he's got a beautiful wife, he's got a son, why didn't he just go back? Why did he stay celibate? So that was a question I was having as I was deciding to disrobe. You know, I committed for my seven years. And in my sixth year, I'm like, okay, I either stay for life or I want to go. You know, I'm exploring this. So those are some questions I had. What is this thing? Um, previously, when I was studying in India, as part of the Minnesota Studies and International Development, we had to do a research project. And we were in Pune. Osho had died um, the year before. And uh, Osho Rashnish, or you know, he had many names. He had a community in Oregon. He had many Rolls Royces. You know, some people still remember this character. And he, when I was researching and talking to the people that took over, they were like, "No, we're like Zorba the Buddha. You know, buy the diamond rings, have as much sex as you want, and it's still spiritual." 
So they would have these meditations of put a mango on a woman's vagina and eat it, and it's a meditation. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Never heard of that concept, but you know, it's it's interesting, right? And so here I am. You know, we're living in a society now that the internet, I don't know the, the numbers, but it's like a gazillion hits on pornography, right? Or, or, or sexual topics. And so it's something that is real. You know, even for, it's a little bit Victorian in the sense that it doesn't get talked about a lot, but there is now very evidence of searches that are being made on Google, right? And so we have sexuality as an ever-present strange thing, you know? Um, generationally, it is, it is changing quite a lot. Um, one of the teachers in my school is about 26. Yeah, 26. And she was like, oh yeah, I'm in an open relationship and, you know, I'm thinking about having a second uh, or a third boyfriend and, and I was just shocked. I wasn't shocked at all that she was in an open relationship. I was just shocked that she was sharing this with the, with people that she had just met. You know, in her world, it's absolutely normal to talk about her open relationship, right? And then you have Dan Savage, who is a sex columnist and, and has a podcast who talks about, hey, if you know, if your partner doesn't give you sex, go ahead and get it somewhere else. Right. So there's all these, you know, all, all these kind of things. And then you have the Catholic Catechism, which I just recently saw at the Oakland Cathedral because I was looking at it. And, uh, masturbation is a disordered action, which should not be done. And homosexuality is a disordered way of being. And, um, you know, cheating on your spouse is obviously not okay. And so you have these like, you should not, you should not, you should not. And people get very angry. I mean, look at the Archdiocese of Minneapolis and St. Paul, right? I got a letter last week from the Archdiocese. I don't know how they found me in San Francisco. I used to teach in a Catholic school for a bit. Um, have you or someone you know been sexually abused? If so, let us know, because we're in the bankruptcy, bankruptcy proceedings. And I think it's with the Archbishop. So there's a lot of anger towards religious organizations from our, our growing up. And we have all of these issues, right? Sex is play. Let's celebrate. Or you know what? It's like, <laughs> I'm a little bit, my mind is a little bit interesting. I'm singing just like, just a spoonful of mindfulness makes everything all right. And, and what I was talking about, it's like, it, it seems like in pop mindfulness teaching, you just add a little bit of mindfulness and everything is just fine. And, um, you know, like it's spirit rock and, and like issues and Buddhism. So I'm doing exactly the same thing, right? Topic and the Dhamma. Okay. Issue. Um, but there's also the, the view that if you just have sex with mindfulness, it's going to be great. And the misuse of the word Tantra, right? Tantric massage, Tantric, and I, I won't go into that. Looping back now into uh, uh, chastity and celibacy, virginity, um, the context of when the Buddha was born and where these notions come from is that asceticism was viewed in, in different ways. And one of them was the more pain you gave yourself, the better. Okay, And he says... and. Every single talk that I will give here, I always mention, mention the Dhammachakapavatana Sutta, the first Sutta, because that's just my 
guidebook. That's how I live my life. The first discourse of the Buddha, enough. I have enough for a lifetime to look at. He says, pursuit of pleasure is not the way. Pursuit of pain is not the way. And that always kind of puzzled me a little bit. Like I get it that if you want to pursue pleasure, I, I get that. Like, you know, hedonism feels good. You, you know, I can see how you could get confused, but who wants to go and search pain? And then I, you know, after years of kind of just pondering, I had the image of the flagellation of the medieval monks as pain as ecstasy and BDSM as ecstasy, right? And so when you have um, masochism or sadism, that pain can lead you to an ecstatic state. And then look in the, the scriptures, these people, what are these people doing to hurt themselves? You know, like they will do the pain, but there would also be some people like being cows, pretending to be a cow, and pretending to be dogs, pretending to, I was like, what on earth? And in San Francisco, there's the um, the Folsom Street Fair. It's this BDSM leather, huge festival, like huge, thousands of people. So my first year in San Francisco, I'm walking around, like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. There's the sex clowns and, the, you know, all these groups. And then there's this big corral of the leather dogs, right? I mean, I know about the equestrians, the ones that dress up as horses. But there's all these puppies and then the trained dogs. And I'm like, what? And, you know, I go in there, and then there's, like, this puppy wanting to play with me. And I'm like, there are people pretending to be dogs, mixing it with sexuality. And somehow, like, scripture, there were people that used to do that 5,000 years ago. And I'm like, is it related? Maybe. I don't know. But this thing of, you know, your kink, your way of finding sexuality, as, as uh, is it an extreme or is it not? And I think a lot of it has to do with your with your attitude. And so um, he says that, and so the middle way to be celibate, as I experienced it, my first year and a half, I was so happy to be there. You know, something had happened, and I, I've had two big events in my life, and I was going to do my master's degree, and instead of that, I flew to Thailand. Within a week, I just left this job, I left all this stuff. And for about a year and a half, I was high. I was just like, whoa, let's meditate. Woo, you know, I was just like really into it. And um, sex just didn't come into the picture. 24-year-old body wasn't getting horny. I was just like really happy waking up at 3 in the morning, having one meal a day. I, it didn't feel like asceticism. It's interesting. You know, it was Thailand with all these like bugs and... No electricity, and it just—it doesn't seem pretty, you know, from the onset. But that was my experience. I was—I was feel—I was being fed by meditation. And Ayakema, this German nun, used to say, "Monks and nuns disrobe because they don't know how to do the jhanas." And the jhanas is the meditation that is not investigation. The meditation that calms you and it can get you to seven levels that are very pleasant. Uh, just an interesting, you know, I don't know if I agree or disagree. It is what it is. But that was what was happening to me. And something that, and I think it was Osho actually said, you know, with celibacy, many times it's something that people experience and 
it's like this charcoal, their sexuality has turned into a diamond. So they walk around with this diamond. And then somebody looks at them, and they're like, ooh, he's got a diamond. I'm going to throw away my charcoal. And then they're left with their shadow. <laughs> Throwing away the charcoal doesn't give you the diamond. It doesn't, right? And so there is this view in India that sexuality can be transformed into something higher. Um, the Some anthropologists, some people have, uh, some religious people had also said the importance of orgasm as a spiritual event. Because at that moment, um, for many people, it is timeless and it's ecstasy. And it's like, whoa, you know, you're out of it. You know, it's like, how do I get more of this? Or what is that? In, in Tibetan tradition, it's also one of the bardos, I believe. So, you know, there you have sleeping and dreaming and the waking and sneezing and orgasm and reincarnating, all these interesting things that I don't know anything about, but I, I think it's interesting. Um, it is 7.51, and at this point, now you're going to talk to the person that you've talked to and just kind of be like, did he really say that? Or, I agree with something, you know, just something just popped into my head. Um, this is the time before I move on, because again, we're scratching the surface of the surface. But I think it's sort of helpful to just sort of say, you know, this is where I am. And, um, and, you know, Again, I could spend three hours talking about celibacy, and I, I would find it interesting, but I think I would probably bore you. So how about spend three, three minutes with your, with your uh, Dharma person friend, and just sort of check in. What, what's kind of popping out? What, what kind of interests you? Um, or is there a question? This is burning question time, so it's like you can disagree with me, and I'll give you that opportunity at, at, at the end of the three minutes. So go for it till 7.55. Is there a burning question or a, an amazing insight you just heard from someone that would be nice to share? You don't. We don't have to have one. It's just an opportunity to. Sometimes I, I go to talks and I'm like, "Did he just say that?" And then I can't listen to anything else because I'm still thinking about something that was said before. Anything? We have two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like a sexual spiritual connection, how to do that, how does it work? Is it one of them? If um if you knew the answer to that, you could be a millionaire very quickly. <laughs> um and that I wanted to finish the talk with that. I mean that, that is the question for many people. You know, can I do it? And I'll 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 mention that. Thank you for that. It's uh I'm glad you mentioned it because, you know, I have so many things in my head uh, relating to the topic. And um, anyone here has ever listened to one of my talks? I tend to be jazzy, you know. I just, I don't, I don't keep notes. I just kind of keep, you know, whatever. It's kind of like jazz a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's, that's a huge topic and that, that really could be a week, right? You know? Are you healthy sexually and is the person that you're with healthy? And then can you meet yourself in that health, however you're defining it? You know, and, and again, um, what happens if you're not matching, if you want to have 
you know, what Dan Savage has, vanilla sex, and the other one. And then the other one is, what does it mean to be spiritually? Uh, the Hare Krishnas, I remember I stayed at the Hare Krishna place in, uh, well, in Indian London, and um, the married couples that follow the scriptures and the guidance is that you chant Hare Krishna 108 times, and then you do it 108 rounds, for, you know, so people do it for 108 days before they can have sex, and they have sex to have a Krishna conscious child. And that is the definition of spiritual sex. You have the Mexican white sheets with a little hole for the vagina, and that's spiritual sex, because you only have that to create a child of God. I don't think Americans will go for those definitions of spiritual sex. And that's where you're going to Tantra, that is going to be this ecstatic, connective, spiritual, amazing sex, right? Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. I don't have, I don't have a specific answer, but it is something I have thought about. And, and maybe think about it. You could create a program and become very rich. I just, it's a very important question. Um, and I saw a hand here. So, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. The charcoal is sexuality. So everyone has this charcoal. And, um, and what happens is that it gets refined. And you find in Taoism, you know, all sorts of notions about the body. And so many of these writings are written by men. And so in, you know, in some cultures they believe semen, or they thought it was a very powerful substance that shouldn't be wasted because it depletes your energy. But when they thought, you know, in, in Europe that women were just, um, vessels to create the creativity of men, they were kind of like, uh, they didn't know women ovulated. And so you didn't waste, uh, this. And people would be like, well, why, why does a child look like a woman? Oh, the blood got infected. So we have this with this history of of um, of, <clears throat> of denying women's sexuality, of punishing women for being sexual, <clears throat> and, and so on. And and again, virginity as virginity is also the symbol that that is that of purity. Like the diamond is is pure and and difficult to find, and and so diamonds have become a symbol in many cultures, right? As something beautiful and rare, and so. <clears throat> This, this thing of a, a woman being worth a lot because she still has her virginity when she's young and beautiful and, and the spiritual counterpart of that is purity. And so mindfulness, for example, uh, you know, one of my teachers says that there are many people teaching mindfulness who have never experienced it because there's mindfulness as sati as you're pure. You're just there, you know, and there's no hindrances and there's no agenda, and you're experiencing the world as a pure being. And I say, that's easy. You're there. You're not adding anything. And so what if you're having sex in that state? Great, right? Um, so, yes, one burning question. One. Oh, Wow. You're such a simple question. What does it mean to be healthy sexually? Really? You're going to ask me that? Uh-huh. Really? 
Of course it looks the same for every... For all seven billion people, it looks exactly the same. Girl! <laughs> you know, um, no, no, you know, you know, as, as, no, as a species, we're dealing with that, right? And so, for example, as a gay man, for me, you know, having grown in cultures that say you are either evil or you're sick, your sexuality will never be healthy, right? You know, people say, love the sin, but not the sinner. You know, there was this woman in, in the Catholic school I, I used to work with and said, for gay men, sexuality is a cross they must bear. And so, the repression that has happened with these Christian priests, I believe Christian monks should be celibate, Christian priests should be married. Goodness. That's my opinion. It's not common ground stand on anything. Um, and see, this is, this is the thing. The celibate path is one thing, right? And then you impose that, that marriage between a man and a woman. You know, this is when the, the Jehovah's Witnesses on the train, they have a thing and they're like, we have traditional marriage. I'm like, come on. Women were property. Traditional marriage was a man had a lot of wives. You know? Muhammad the prophet said, come on, have four if you can afford it. Don't have twenty. You know? It was to limit. And so healthy sexuality, uh, you know, in spirituality, it's, it's, um, it's tricky. Now, in the Buddhist scriptures, it used to annoy me when it said, the Buddha said, I'm like, you don't know what the Buddha said. There was no YouTube back then to kind of <laughs> check it out. No, really. And even if there were, you could interpret things in a different way. And so, you know, I used to look, there were the monk things, but I used to look at some of the things geared towards lay people and what I got out of it is be mindful, be attentive to the, the sexual norms of that time. So the, my host family, where I stayed, that was an arranged marriage. Okay, Parents decided, they look at the astrological chart, and I'm like, how does that work? And they're like, oh, love comes, love comes later. And my host mom died uh, three years ago in a, in a car accident, and my host dad was devastated. It's the love of her, of his life. And so it's an arranged marriage, a healthier marriage, right? I mean, it's, it's a culture. And so I would, I would read the scriptures and be like, don't go after a girl that has already been promised. That's not okay. And so in that time, you know, it'd be like, oh, these two are going to be married. Don't go, you know, sort of the norms. Like for us, it would be, um, something like dating your brother, right? Brother and sisters dating. It's like, why is that? You know, if they said, we don't plan to have children. In fact, we've had the operations. We're consenting adults and we want to get married. That's the thing where in American culture, you know, I asked that. I was teaching a class at St. Thomas, people that were um, getting their masters to be teachers. And I posed that question. Why is incest bad? I just know it's bad. <laughs> I said between adults, right? <clears throat> Because right now we're living in a culture where children cannot have sexuality. Many people don't think that children can have sexuality. Just like, you know, some years ago, people that were elderly couldn't have sexuality. And now that has changed. You know, there's the books of like, great sex after 60 and so on. So, Brother David Sandal Rost talked about incest. And he said, the primary relationship is your blood family. So when you break that relationship, it's not a good it creates something that's kind of weird, you know. 
when an adult mother and adult son break that blood thing and they become sexual, it's creating an energy that actually is not healthy. You know, so he was talking about how a blood relation is something that should be respected. And so adding sexuality to it complicates it too much, right? But again, if you have a brother and sister and they're like, we're not having kids, why can't I be together? It's like, you know, it's social norms, right? And so a black person with a white person, you know, 50 years ago, whenever it was, the, the debates that used to happen. And remember, just 100 years ago, were, are black people fully human or are they not? They used to ask this as a true scientific question, right? Humans being exhibited in the London Zoo. You know, so, so you have this thing of like, when can you have sex? When can you not? Um, and this precept for lay people, I think, uh, is not specific enough many times and it's not helpful. Because for as a monk, it was clear. It's like, you shall not. And then I read an article in Tricycle Magazine, which is, the, I think it's the largest Buddhist magazine. Horrible article written by this woman making fun of the Vinaya. Look at what they're writing in these scriptures, in the Pali scriptures. And then she starts quoting these nasty, horrible things that exist. But it was out of context. And there's no way that she could know the context. I'll give an example. For example, the... Okay, so you can't have intercourse. So the monks start saying, is this intercourse? Is that intercourse? (laughs) You know, and then same with masturbation. If I just go on a river and I'm like not doing anything and it's like, (laughs) and I'm like, really? And so when you take those things out of context and it just goes and on, if there's a decapitated head and I stick my penis in its mouth, is that intercourse? And okay, so now put this in a magazine and you're like, what the hell is going on with this <laughs> with these Buddhist scriptures? Okay, so you're in a Thai place, there's no TV, there's not many interesting books, there's only a few people to talk to for a few hours. There's not much to do. And then comes a time when you're going to discuss the Vinaya, and then it gets starts getting like fun. And I and I used to make fun of people, but um, like you can't eat after 1 p.m. or 12 p.m. depending on the sun. And one monk goes, "What if you're in the space shuttle? <laughs> when do you eat then?" And I came up with like, you know, if you steal something, you can no longer be a monk because you stole, and it has to be a certain amount of of money. It has to be worth money. And I'm like, "What if you steal a postage stamp, but you didn't know it was a collection?" <laughs> you know, and so that happened with. With all of the rules, there's these monks sitting around and they just talk and talk and like, what if this and what if that? And that comes from when the Buddha started his monastic order, there were not many rules. And as people complained, the rules got added. And as people met in the centuries gone, they got added and added and now it's an encyclopedia. But there's not that for um, lay people. And as the centuries have, have gone on, as science has uh, has moved on, as how we see women. Just because women have a smaller brain than a big guy doesn't mean much. But remember, it used to be this thing of like, women were property, they were dumb, they were they couldn't inherit things. So how can you have a healthy sexuality if you don't respect women or you don't understand what a woman is and you're a man who has had centuries of getting messages of, 
Your semen is super powerful because it creates this. You own this, you know, woman. And, and so how can you have sexual, you know? So you have all of this baggage. And so then you say, what did the Buddha say about, you know, open marriages? Well, you know, he talked to kings. He talked to people. There were people that had more than one wife. It was India. And so sex, friend or foe, we have a long history of many cultures saying it is definitely the enemy of spirituality. In one of the Buddhist scriptures said, if there were one thing that was as powerful as sex, if there was one more thing like that, actually monasticism couldn't exist. It would just be too much. Right? Now, I'm going to transition now to talk a little bit about um, Indriya Samwara, and that's guarding the senses. So how do I make sense of this? Um, there was a Hindu picture that I saw, actually Hare Krishna's also have it, where the soul is blindfolded, and it's in a chariot holding horses. And on the chest of each horse is an ear, lips, and an eye, you know, the five senses. And the soul is being blinded by the five senses. In Buddhism, you have the five senses plus citta, the mind. So the mind is considered a sense because you have the mind and then the mind object. Just the same way that you have hearing and you have sound, right? Olfactory sense and, and a scent. You smell things. And so we have food and we have sex as the things that use a lot of our senses. You know, you can hear the crunchiness and you can taste it and you can smell it and you can definitely feel the food. It's super engaging, right? Go to a gourmet restaurant and it looks beautiful. So the way it's presented, you have all of that. And you have all of that in sexuality and then you also have the mind. And so in many spiritual traditions and, and in Buddhism, they say, guard the senses. And I always was like, what does that mean? What, what does it mean? You know, because repressing something, I will not have that delicious mango. <laughs> to push something away um, is easier than to really understand it. You know, and it's also easier, like at that time when I was, you know, not feeling, I'm not going to tell you what happened after a year and a half, by the way. Uh, but, no. um, you know, you're like, okay, there's the senses. And you have spirituality where then you have sometimes emotional stuff, sometimes thinking stuff. So, the second noble truth, the cause of suffering is craving. And again, you know, having just eaten one meal a day for those years, food craving, right? Sugar craving. We have this thing in our skulls that has these cravings. And I think people that are not enlightened take some of these scriptures and then they encourage people to be repressed. And guilt. I ate another chocolate cake piece. I should be feeling bad about myself. Just think about this culture and the, and the, and the relationship with food. It's so complicated. You know? Sugar. Yeah, I mean, I love sugar. I had tiramisu today for 
lunch at Caseta's, so good. But even, you know, even when I'm enjoying it, I still kind of think, okay, what, you know, what's my relationship to this? And then with sex, it's going to be very difficult to have healthy sex if you're feeling guilty, you know, because it's going against your spirituality. You know, that if you see it as polar opposites, it's going to be a, a, you know, a difficult thing. I mean, think of, you know, before the 1950s, how um, people were made to be to feel guilty about so many things regarding their, their bodies. And again, for women, you know, where there's not a lot of stuff written. About. So my reflections on that is that to study how I engage with my senses is interesting. Um, if you can become curious about these things, it, you know, like I always say, like when you have a box and you're like, what's in there? That that energy can give you that. And that's how I relate to these questions. I don't demand answers anymore. I used to. You know, like when I was a monk, again, it's like, what is it? You know, what is it about this sexuality? Why is it so powerful? Why, you know, why are we not talking about it? And now I'm kind of like, I get it. There's this kind of warning, you know? Check it out. Check it. Check how you um, relate to your body, to your sexual energy, uh, and that's what I do now. You know, now that I'm 45 and I start, you know, things are falling apart, just start to notice. Like, okay, what is that? Is the body's changing? Um, what are the social norms? In San Francisco's changing a lot. It's becoming wealthier. The artists have left and all that. But it was a place where the sexual norms of San Francisco were not the sexual norms of the planet. And now the East Bay Meditation Center, um, they have this thing called uh, deep refuge groups. And so they have a group of women, a group of people of color, you know, a group of, you know, where we can be like that, the LGBT group. And last year they studied the BDSM Leather Deep Refuge Mindfulness Group. And I'm like, only in California. <laughs> I was like, what, what are they talking about? What is it? You know, what are they talking about? But, you know, how do you take your kinks to the spiritual level? I, don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they're talking about. Um, but again, to, to look at sex as play, that's a high order, actually. You know, most species play in order to know how to live, right? Like the little lions will be biting themselves, and then little kids are like mowing the lawn with plastic things, or they're driving with a little car, or they're taking care of a little baby. Play is super important. And so if you, let's say you go into a, um, a sexual encounter with the idea of play, it can be a beautiful experience. But there's not many cultural leaders encouraging that in the spiritual communities of our time or the past. Because there's not, not a lot of people talking about it. You know? Or, you know, sex can be so many things. And can sex be prayer? You know, we read about temples that, you know, maybe some sexual stuff was going there. Um, what happens when you lose yourself? And remember in Buddhism, right? All things are not permanent and they're not self. That is the difference between a Buddha and a non-Buddha. The Buddha knows this. The enlightened people know that 
all things that have the nature to arise, have the nature to cease, and they are not self. And it is my personal opinion that when somebody's enlightened, everything they do is enlightened. They take a poop, it's enlightened. They have sex, it's enlightened. You know, they live in this end. And having experienced um, practice in so many ways, you know, from times of I'm going to be so strict and do these many hours or going into retreat and meeting teachers and talking to people and listening and reading. So I wake up in the morning and, and be like, yeah, what is what is my day going to be like? You know, what is this openness? I do get glimpses sometimes of this of this mindfulness. And then uh, my partner and I are now separated because he's in Dallas. J.C. Penney seduced him with his great job. And so it's a long-distance relationship. And so then I'm like, okay, how do we relate? And we go on vacations together and, and, you know, just figuring that out. But it comes from a space that's a little bit less intense, right? Um, so, the, I don't know why we don't talk about all of these issues more. Um, it's time for another talk with your neighbor. Because maybe I haven't said anything that interests you. And so maybe this is a time to talk to someone and to be like, you know, I wish you would have talked about this. He's, I, we understand he's scratching the surface of the surface. Um, but what, you know, I, I've given these food for thought things. Um, what's rising up in your mind at the moment? Talk among yourselves. What's going on? start to wrap it up and then if anything came up during discussions that you thought might be interesting to share or if you have a um, maybe a question to the group or, or, or to me we, we'll do that uh, um, pretty soon so going back on on my reflections on you know how I, I saw this topic in my life and sexuality and, and you know what what I was curious about again this arch of going from the virgin mother and purity you know, and one of the spiritual questions I ask when I read a scripture or a his or a story or a fable is, what is the metaphor? Is there a metaphor here? Because that's how it becomes interesting to me. You know, angels. What's the metaphor? You know, in Thailand they used to say angels think we stink. And angels, a lot of angels in many traditions don't have sex because they don't need it. You're being angelic when you're not having sex. But not take celibacy as something as the ideal, as the best. Because in traditions they have said that. But what's appropriate for some people? You know, what, what, is, what was appropriate for me as a young man? It's not appropriate now. I almost went back three years ago to the monastery. Got permission from my partner and everything. Talked to my teachers and they said they would take me back. And that was one of the questions, you know, like, uh, is it going to be okay to be celibate? And, and I think, I, you know, this is something I've done before. I can do it again. But it's not because I want to be pure here or, you know, up here. That celibacy is the best or a sacrifice or any of that. And so, you know, for you, how does that, how does that invade your daily life? Maybe like do an experiment. 30 days of chastity as a fun experiment. 
And the, the the idea of fasting, you know, like I've done the ten day no eating fast. It's like you 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 see things, you know, your your mirror gets adjusted. You're driving through life with a different lens. And so if you become chased for a few days as a, a spiritual curiosity thing, what happens? Can remember these, you know, these young men coming to the ministry. Oh my God, a wet dream at 32? What? Because their body was like, oh, that's what happened to me. And other people would be like, I've never had a wet dream. I don't know why, you know. So how does it get, how does the body experience celibacy and chastity? And does that have to do with anything? Was it an interesting experiment? To understand why, what, what to do with horniness or with desire, you know, or, um, is the way that I make myself beautiful for myself, or is it because I still need to attract or, or, you know, do that dance of seduction? So if you have a time when you're like, you know, for now, let's see what life is like. Right? That might be interesting. I'm not suggesting. I'm just saying, you know, maybe, um, that's a way of looking at that. You know, why, why is it that, you know, fasting or celibacy sometimes opens um, a few doors for insight? Be like, you know, when I'm feeling sexual, this has been my tendency. You know what Amatanasanti was saying? If you understand your sexuality, it's a powerful force, complicated force. I mean, look at all the topics we could talk about. I bought a book years ago from um, Sherry Huber. It's a Zen teacher. And one side of it is sex, and then you flip it over, and the other side is money. I'm like, perfect. These are interesting things for me. And I started doing it, and it was like, describe a fantasy. I'm like, I don't have it. I don't, I don't want to describe. I didn't want to do all the exercises. <laughs> but it was interesting to look at, you know. <laughs> but all the all the exercises were a day of a discussion, because they did all of those days exploring sexuality, and they would be like. What is the role of sexual fantasy in my life? And does that have to do anything with mindfulness? How do I relate? Like now, you do a thing and then there's a million sexual things on the, on the internet. And so that's the thing. You know, we have this ideal of purity and, and so on. But what if that, if, what if that diamond is, is a sexual diamond as opposed to celibacy? You know, anybody here knows Adyashanti? He lives in California. He's his teacher. Many people respect him. He's very impressive. And he's married. And his wife is a teacher. And so we have a lot of couples that are teachers. And so that's an example that sometimes we have, that there's couples that are teachers. And and many times we, if we have close friends in this busy, busy, busy life that we lead, Maybe we'll have an honest relationship, an honest talk about sex. But many times it just doesn't happen. You know? You don't talk with your acquaintances. And that was the shock when this, when this young woman is talking about her, you know, her open relationship. It was like, oh, you talk about your sexuality like you're talking about ice cream. It's just like, that's what you do in your life. And she's a healthy, beautiful, smart, healthy woman. And she's out, right? And so what does it mean to be fully out? You know, and I, and so these people at, you know, my meditation center at out, they're out as kinksters and meditators. And they're making a go of it. Right? I, and, and I really don't, um, I know one guy who was thinking about going, but he hasn't gone, so I, I can't really gossip about the group because I don't know about it. Um, but there, but there they are. 
they're exploring it, you know. And then we have um, the hurt that so many traditions have done, and the hurt that people people carry with, you know, whether it's abuse. I've never met a person that I know that has said to me, I've never met someone who hasn't been sexually molested or abused. It's just, it's a reality that we live with. And so that disrespect and that rape is still a part of our species. So we have sex and violence, right? And and that's clear where the precepts, I'm like, come on. How could that be a question, right? When you disrespect somebody's body or a child. So we have morality that served a purpose in a time and space, and now we're trying to figure out as modern, as contemporary people, what our morality is. Um, and so we'll we'll see how that goes. It's been really interesting for me. Um, we were on vacation when the in Europe when the marriage, um, the gay marriage thing happened, but. Um, you know, we're just sitting there, and we're like, oh. I think we were in Estonia. We're like, oh, we can't get married in Estonia, but back in the States. like, You know, we're just kind of like looking at each other. Like, I just I just didn't think that, you know, when I was a kid, I just didn't think I would live that reality. Well, or, you know, legally, people are saying that, that sexuality is okay. And then Indriya Samwara, guarding the senses. With the most delicious gelato, where you're there, is it possible to be mindful? It worries me that in today's society, people think that if you're not multitasking, you're being mindful. <laughs> I'm not multitasking, I'm being mindful. Yes and no. Yes and no. Um, you know, mindfulness is a business. And so it could be easy just to say, yep, have sex and be mindful, and if both of you are mindful, it's going to be great sex. That's a message that workshops, and you can pay $3,000, go to SLM, and you're going to get that message. I am going to give you this program where you're going to be so sexually mindful, it's going to be great. $3,000, please, plus tax. And it's not that it's not true. Obviously, it would be true if you have, you know, these two people that are coming in and uh, and they're sharing their being in a sexual way. But there's, uh, you know, with anybody here doesn't know who Dan Savage is. He's kind of like, you know, when 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 I was younger, Ruth, Doctor Ruth, used to talk about sex. He was a sex columnist. So Dan Savage, for, I don't know, 20 years, or I don't know how long he's been writing his thing, people used to ask him questions about sex, and now they tend to ask him questions about relationships. So now you can Google so many things. But people have these things of, you know, can I do this? What what, what happens with this? My in-laws, you know, these things of, of navigating a realm that is not clear. So if you're in a small tribe, there's so many things that are clear. And you don't feel lonely many times, but you can't be an individual. Now we have a country where so many immigrants 
we're individuals and now we're, you know, the ancestors of immigrants that like individuality and now we're forming this world and we have capitalism and we have all of this, that we're trying to figure out what are our sexual norms. You know, so we've got the, the neo-Victorians were like, sex is bad, but we're having it on the back, right? You know, see, like, oh, those people, you know, wear your chastity ring, and then they get pregnant, and like, what happened to your chastity ring? It's like, duh, you know, if you don't really work, you know, the shadow and all of that. So, guarding the senses. It's a question that is alive for me. Um, it is a question. You know? What does it mean? There's these things that we we have contact with with experience because of this body, and we get judged, right? You know, the color of my skin, my age, how I see myself as a sexual being, all of that. You know, there was a time where people with disabilities were not allowed to have sex. How could they? So, as we go through through that, because we don't have a clear cube, then the precepts become nuanced. If somebody just tells you, thou shall not, dot, 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 then you do it, or you feel guilty about it. And so that's one part now. It's like we, we have the difficult task, and we have spiritual communities that don't talk about it, including the Buddhist mindfulness communities. Don't explore sex and sexuality. Can you be enlightened and still be sexual? I'm telling you, some people in Thailand used to tell me, like, if you become enlightened, you have to become a monk or you will die. <laughs> mm-hmm. Obviously, you can't be sexual and enlightened if that's how you see the world. You're like, you're like, really, like, right? <laughs> it's kind of a weird <laughs> statement. Um, and so friend or foe, right? It's both. That's the easy answer. But it's, it's one or the other in our lives, depending on the day, the month, who we're with, and so on. So that's a whole collection of hopefully not so random thoughts, um, but it's, um, I think it's an issue, and, and maybe being my, me being here is just an encouragement to explore it in a more uh, concise way, maybe in a, in a way that's not so jazzy, you know, so like, okay, let's just look at one part of it, you know, maybe it could be relationship, um, maybe it could be our bodies and how we experience sexuality and, and what does that mean in the context of spirituality, how do I treat my body and see my body as a, whatever, right? So many ways of looking at it. And I've done that through the years, and it's very interesting. And it um, keeps me engaged. Um, if there's anything that I've said that it's that it's inaccurate or offensive or you know, out of line, I, I ask for your forgiveness. And if there's anything that I've said that, I, that it's been useful, I, I bring to mind all my teachers who have helped me walk this path. That makes my life joyful. And, uh, and a little bit easier to bear. So, I offer this for your reflection and for your path. And all beings be at peace. It's question time.
It, wait, do we finish at 9? Okay, so it's 8.39. Maybe there's no questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh my goodness, thank you. So remember when I was telling you the four projects? So murder, sexual intercourse, stealing, or pretending to have other powers that you don't have? Because this is the thing. You could have the seven jhanas, you know, like you can really meditate. You can be incredibly charismatic and have a lot of insight and be completely broken and have huge blind spots on your psychology. You know, one of the monks I lived with is from Sri Lanka, and his family gave him to the monastery when he was nine. And so sexually, he's nine, but he, he knew the Pali scriptures. He could quote Pali and so much, but there was a side of it that didn't, that didn't know. So many examples, right, of, of um, sexual misconduct. Oh, I could go on and on about um, the paper I wrote was on gurus that are famous in India but not outside of India and then gurus that are famous outside of India but not inside that 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 are Indian um, yeah yeah mm -hmm. right right sexuality and ego and feeding the ego enormous topic as well right and, you know, and I've had two students that came out as asexual. Yeah, um, the way I understand the question is, is um, sexuality and ego, right? And, and sometimes needing sexuality um, to kind of feed your ego, right? And also, and, and, and with that is whatever norm is about sexual attraction. And, you know, who's a good lover and not a good lover, um, and all of those things of, you know, qualifying who you are, what you're not, and um, huge topics. <laughs> um, part of sexual energy, which even just the word sexual energy, what is that? Where is it? Um, it's a creative force as well, right? And so seeing myself as sexual or creative or somebody that creates babies or somebody that can get many lovers, or many, um, you know, Tinder swipes, right? Like, ooh, I got so many, anybody know what this, nobody? <laughs> an app, an app in Tinder, and you're seeing faces, and if you swipe on one side, you like them, and if you swipe on the other side, you don't like them, and then, you know, if you both like each other, then they communicate. All that ego of like, ooh, I wore this sexy... <laughs> Where I live in downtown San Francisco, right around 12, I call it the microskirt time. And there's these like women with like tiny microskirts and huge heels and they're all made up. And it's like, it's like these, you know, birds of paradise dancing, right? And so many of the folk dances are about sex and about ego. And, and so feeding your ego, like, yep, I'm attractive. I'm like, yeah, it's a huge thing. And then what happens when that's lost? You know, people feel devastated sometimes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And out of everything that you said, the word powerful just screams at me, right? And again, this powerful thing that many of us are not 
talking with our friends, not in our in our communities, and it's all around, but it's nowhere to be found. And you know, you look at fashion, like you know, talking to some of my students, and it's like business suit. Is that tie just an arrow pointing to your penis? <laughs> Is that how you explain it to an alien that came from you know? Because cod pieces to us now are very obvious. Like, like you're enhancing something there, right? Those 1950s cone bras. I'm like, seriously? That's what you're gonna wear to be a you know a suburban mom? Those huge cones with a big skirt, right? You know why is lipstick on women? You start looking at things like that. Why is that? Go Google it. No. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to use the uh, question mic because I have a cold and it's hard for me to project. Um, and I'll, I can also pass it around. I realize this is a okay. sensitive topic, but it will be recorded and then I'll go delete everything that <laughs> is re- that is recorded. So okay, except for you, Nils. So. <laughs> um, so I have a question about sort of like sexuality within a relationship, and I I guess I find that. When I'm sexually active or something, it, it maybe causes or is like related to an increased like awareness of sexual things. And I, I think this has to do with like respect and, um, guarding the senses also. Mm-hmm. And then I feel that I'm like thinking about sexuality more than I necessarily want to be. And you know, I'm viewing people as sexual beings in like situations that are not sexual at all. And I guess that seems to me to be one of the, like, damaging aspects of sexuality that, like... Let me see if I'm understanding. This happens when you're in a sexual relationship more than when you're not. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe just the thing thing in general, like reducing people to objects could be the the easiest way to say it. And I find that it's something that happens automatically and is probably, like, natural. And then that, like, connects to shame and that sort of, like, tightness yeah, around yeah. it and not wanting to do that. And it's just, it's kind yeah. of a mess. Yeah. Well, you know, as you were saying that, it reminded me of this um, Judeo-Christian and maybe more, actually, Christian, um, of interpreting what, you know, this teacher said of just thinking about it is a sin. And the Buddha, as we have it, as his words in the scriptures, it's not like that. What's really super, super important is intention. And um, I, in the Noble Eightfold Path, that word gets translated the most because it's really difficult to translate. If you actually investigate what does it mean to have an intention and you really go into it, it is wild. Did I intend to do that? Because sometimes it's very clear. But sometimes it's not. I mean, did I intend to just start eating that cookie while I was watching Netflix? It just kind of happened, right? And so intention is really interesting. So I wouldn't worry about like, oh my God, that rose makes me feel really sexual. And that rose could be a body. It is a mental formation. It's not a breaking of a precept or a moral thing. And that's important to, to see. Ajahn Chai in his books, you know, he describes when he was, because he started being monastic when he was little, and he's my teacher's teacher. And there was a time when he describes that he would see vaginas everywhere, like in the folds of cloth. 
and everything. Like, he just started seeing vaginas everywhere. And he says, that is a mental formation that happened. There has to be no shame. And, and shame is an enormous topic as well. So, yes, and then we'll go. Well, let me, let me, let me answer your PhD question. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, let me, let me respond to a few of the things because you have a lot in there. Um, you know, like the 32 parts and again of seeing, seeing the body as this bag of skin filled with unattractive things. Okay. So that's a Buddhist scripture and, um, that's a recipe for horny monks or maybe nuns. I don't know who are just sitting there and have to deal with the fact that they've had this vow and then that their cycles, I would feel a lot more sexual during the full moon than not. I had no idea that that men had cycles. But, it, and, I, and I would talk to the other monks, I'm like, is this a full moon thing? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, denying women's to show the hair. So you look at Iran, you know, the Shah says, you may not cover your hair. Post-Shah, Yaya told us, you must cover your hair, and women never get asked whether they want to or not. It just made it into a law. And so, you know, Cleopatra was Greek, so, you know, Egypt had been a colony. And so when you suppress, you know, like where I'm from in, in El Salvador, our, our water goddess became the Virgin of Peace, La Virgen de la Paz. And so to control uh, sexuality, culture, have cultural genocide, it's a, it's a good way to have an empire. You know, uh, you take the women, you have children with these women, what about these kids now? You know, so it's, um, you have a lot of uh, complex questions there. Um, it's 8.53. I'm going to take the one last one, but all keep on to these questions, you know, and, and sometimes it can just be like, eh, interesting topics, bring it down to how does it apply to your life? Now that you're a woman living in 2015, wherever you're living, you know, and be like, am I, am I, you know, advertising is awful. My teenage girls, you know, my, I, I deal mainly with freshmen, girls of color. And it's heartbreaking how ugly sometimes they feel. You know, so one of the assignments, I'm the art teacher, I'm like, you go and find out how much it costs to have a young body. What? How much does it cost to dye your hair, to get your skin tightened, to get all of these things that people do so they can look younger? But obviously, if I tell you that you buy my shampoo and that shampoo is going to make you beautiful and you're going to get great sex, then you will buy my shampoo. And so capitalism is, is the new thing that is oppressing us. And so you have to keep, you know, keep your eyes open. One last comment or question was around here. Okay. Right. Thank you. I'm going to finish by saying again, um, as you begin to investigate, you know, your body, your society, uh, it gives you more chances to, to be happy. You know, see so like, oh, this is, this is, you know, how my society presents the ideal body, the ideal relationship. This is how I see it. Um, once I was at a museum, it's a British museum, and they had all of these things, an exhibit of um, 
different prosthetics and things, and they had a, a thing about sexuality. And at the same time, in medieval Europe, they had this exhibit of chastity belts made out of metal, next to it to these Japanese sex toys. Like, and like have, you know, all these beads and feather things. I'm like, I, I don't even know what that is, you know, but it was all wrapped in this silk box. And it's, it's all the same time, you know? And so completely different, right? And then you have other times when it just flips and changes. And I do realize that I've talked about a lot of kind of like, whoa, 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 and just kind of like throwing topics. I understand that. But my intention is to like, yeah, let's keep it open. And let's, maybe you shouldn't be shy. I hope Mark doesn't hate me for saying that. But maybe you can say, hey, let's talk about sex a little bit more. And if he doesn't feel comfortable about doing it, there's a sangha, right? Because if you're happy and you're like, I have a great sex life and I feel completely spiritual about it, you're an example. And that's great to share. It's like, you know, I used to be repressed, now I'm not. It's great. Yeah. And now, you know, in San Francisco, San Francisco is such an interesting place. You know, the, the, the cuddle parties are going worldwide now. The masturbation parties are going worldwide. And, the, you know, all these things are happening. And you have generational things. And, you know, the hippies were around. And, and you have where, you know, one generation goes, those teenagers, you know, those 1930s flappers, they're showing their legs. And what are they doing cutting their hair? The 1930s is so immoral. Okay. How many times have we heard that thing where young people are immoral? I don't, I don't, I don't believe it. So, um, thank you for being with me. I'm so glad you came. I I was convinced nobody was going to show up in a nice Minnesota (laughs) summer day. So it was lovely to to see some friendly faces. So, thank you. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs. Or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.